This podcast is dedicated Le'ilu Nishmas in loving memory and for the ascension of the soul of Elchanan Nacham ben Yitzchak. May his soul be elevated in heaven. This is a momentous day. This is a momentous podcast because this is the final Parsha podcast of year four of the Parsha podcast. I am incredibly proud of you, the audience, the best audience in the entire podcast universe, the Parsha podcast. We did it. We finished another year of the Parsha podcast, year four. Last year, we did the entire Parsha each week, around an hour. We only missed one last year, and that was Parsha's Vaera, and we filled it in this year. And I'm proud to say that the listenership grew and more people listened to the rebroadcast of last year's episodes this year than listened to it originally. And this year as well, we tried to do a new episode each week. We didn't do it each week. We didn't succeed every single week. But I would estimate somewhere between two-thirds and three-quarters of the weeks, we managed to do a brand new episode. I had a friend of mine who suggested, okay, Rabbi, you did already a couple of years of the Parsha podcast. Why don't you move on to different pursuits? And of course, the answer is no. Every year, we encounter new insights. We try new things. We experiment with new formats. And it's important for us to continue studying the Parsha. And that's why I'm happy to announce that, please God, next year, in the next cycle of the Torah, we will once again have the Parsha podcast. And hopefully, like we did this year, most weeks or many weeks, we'll try to have a new Parsha podcast and discover new insights and learn new lessons and experiment with new formats. And that will hopefully be beneficial to everyone. And I also want to add that when we are connected to the Parsha, it keeps us connected with the nation. We're keeping pace with the rest of our Jewish brethren. Every week, Jews the world over study the Parsha, and together with them, we on the Parsha podcast are following along. So the plan for next year, please God, the fifth year of the Parsha podcast is to once again re-release, rebroadcast each Sunday the Parsha podcast of that week and hopefully towards the end of the week to do a new episode and I'm thinking about some new segments that I want to do. I want to maybe focus on some more Midrash maybe sprinkle in a little bit of Kabbalah. And I want to also try to have in every episode some question that will remain unanswered, something that the audience could think about, could chew over. In our industry, there's no class, there's no lecture that the rabbis prefer more than Q&A, more than questions and answers. Because you don't need to prepare. You've been preparing your whole life for it. And you walk in, you don't need to prepare and see what the audience has, what questions they have. Maybe you could resolve them. The problem is, 
is that sometimes there is no good questions or people don't have questions or everything's resolved. Maybe you did a good job for them last time. So I want to flip this script and I want to turn it around. I want to have instead of Q&A, A and Q. Instead of having the audience bring questions, which of course I always appreciate, and you can always email me, rabbiwalbajima.com. I want the audience to bring answers to hopefully thought-provoking questions. So that's going to be a segment I'm going to try to work into each Parsha podcast, Please God, in the year upcoming. With the help of the almighty, A&Q, answers and questions, we'll ask questions in the Parsha and see what the audience comes up with. So this week is interesting because we don't really have a Parsha that's read this week. We have done up to the last Parsha of the year, and that is Parsha's Vizos HaBracha, the very last Parsha in the Torah, and there is no Shabbos that is associated with this particular reading. It's always read on Simchas Torah, which is the festival where we celebrate the completion of the Torah, the end of Devarim, the end of Deuteronomy, and start back from the beginning and we always read Vezos HaBracha, the last part of the Torah, on Simchas Torah. And of course, the first week following Simchas Torah is going to be Parshas Bereshis, all the way back at the beginning of Genesis. Nevertheless, even though there's no Shabbos that's associated with it, it's our Parsha, and let us see what we can discover in this very last Parsha of the Torah. So in the fourth verse of our Parsha, it's a very famous verse, maybe the most famous verse in the entire parsha. Torah tziva lanu Moshe, hilat Yaakov. Moses has convened the nation. It's again the last day of his life, and he's going to give a blessing to all the tribes, or at least to eleven of them, before he dies. And he begins with some sort of introduction. And Rashi explains that he's talking about the praise of God in a way that's going to show the righteousness of the Jewish people and how the Almighty offered the Torah to all the other nations. But we got the Torah. They refused it. They passed on the offer and we got the Torah. Torah was given to us by Moshe and it is a heritage, a Morashai heritage for the congregation of Jacob. This is the heritage of the Jewish people. Now, in the Talmud, we discover something really interesting about this verse. We're told in the Talmud book of Sukkah, page 42b, that when there is a young child, as parents and educators, we are instructed, we are required to train the young children in the ways of mitzvahs. So it gives us an example, several examples, actually. If you have a young person, a minor, who knows how to shake the lulav. They're not 13, they're not bar mitzvah yet, but they know how to shake the lulav. Well, they are obligated to shake the lulav. Well, what about if they're a young boy, maybe three years old, four years old, and they know how to wear tzitzis? Well, then they're obligated to wear tzitzis. Well, what if they know how to wear tefillin? They're able to wear the tefillin each morning and maintain their state of mind, the proper state of mind for tefillin. Well, then they're required to do that, even though they are not required in mitzvahs, they're not bar mitzvah yet. Nevertheless, they must be trained and reared 
and the ways of mitzvos. And finally, if a young child knows how to speak, the child's father, the child's parents, teach them Torah and the reading of the Shema. Right when a child learns how to speak, the very first thing the parents teach them is Torah and the recitation of the Shema. What part of Torah must a parent teach the child, child who's just learning how to speak, says the Talmud, what is referred to over here in Torah is this verse. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 4, the fourth verse of our parsha. Torah, Tziva, Lanu, Moshe. Torah was commanded to us by Moshe, by Moses, Morashatihilat Yaakov. It is a heritage for the congregation of Jacob. The very first verse that we must teach a child, along with the Shema, is this verse, the fourth verse of our parsha. Torah was given to us, was commanded to us by Moshe. It is the heritage of the congregation of Jacob. What is the very first message that we have to impart in our children? This verse. Why is this verse so important that it is the first thing we teach our children. Now, there's another Rashi who quotes a Midrash. This is earlier in, in Devarim, in chapter 11, verse 19. It tells us the flip side. What happens if a parent is derelict in their duties and don't teach the child Torah, Tziva, Lanu, Moshe, this verse, Torah was planted by Moshe, it is the heritage of the congregation of Jacob. A parent, at the moment, at the precise moment, the child's learning how to speak, teaches them Torah, Tzivah, Moshe, this verse. And if you don't do it, if the parent is derelict in their duties, if they neglect to teach the child this verse, behold, it's like they buried him. Very harsh language in the Midrash as quoted by Rashi. This message is so important that if the parent does not convey this message to the child at the right moment, when they are most ripe to hear this first message, they're spiritually buried. Why is this message so important? Why is this the first thing a child needs to know? I want to add there's another interesting teaching in the Talmud. This is from Bava Basra, page 14a. It's talking about one of the sages who wrote 400 copies of the Torah. And the Talmud says, well, how do you write so many copies of the Torah? The Torah is very big. So the Talmud, well, maybe he didn't write the entire Torah. He just wrote this verse, Torah Tzivalonu Moshe, Morashaki Latyakov. He wrote this verse 400 times. But because this verse encapsulates all of Torah, it can be aptly described as Torah in a verse. What's the one verse that best encapsulates all of Torah, or at least the important message of Torah? What is the verse that's a digest of what Torah is really about? The fourth verse of our Parsha. It is all of Torah, so to speak, on one leg, and therefore it's the most important thing you got to teach your child, 
Don't miss it if you do it. It's the equivalent of spiritual burial. Clearly, this verse is very important. And we shall see that this verse really teaches us what Torah is about. It shows us what life as a Jew is all about. It shows us what our relationship with the Almighty and His Torah is all about. This one verse, this seven-word verse, can teach us so, so, so much. The lessons inherent in this verse will give us a deeper appreciation of the study of Torah and the study of Parsha. And I think it's quite fitting as we are about to embark on year five of the Parsha podcast, it will hopefully energize us for the year upcoming and for the opportunities that are available in Torah. We're about to finish the Torah and start back from the beginning. I think it's quite important to remember what it is all about. So first of all, there is an important teaching in the Talmud in the book of Michael's page 23b, a very famous citation. It tells us that in the entire Torah, there are 613 mitzvos. There's 613 distinct, discrete commandments of the Torah. The problem is, is that there's actually a lot more than just 613. There's many, many, many more. And therefore, we have books like the Rambam, the Sefer Chinuch, the Ramban talks about this at length. There's books that try to categorize what is a general principle, one of the thirteen, and what is a subcategory of another mitzvah. But it's a famous idea, we all know this, how many mitzvahs are in the Torah? 613. Well, what's the source for that? How did we get to that number? This verse. Talmud tells us, Torah, Tziva, Lanu, Moshe. Torah, was commanded to us by Moshe. The word Torah has a gematria, has a numerical value of 611. Moshe gave us 611 mitzvos, but the first two of the Ten Commandments, I am the Lord your God. You should not have any other gods before me. Those we didn't get from Moshe. Those we got directly from God. And therefore, if you add Torah, 611, and you add two more to that, you get 613. So I think that would be an easy answer to this question. This verse is hinting at the entirety of Torah. Torah, of course, means instruction. It means commandments. What are we commanded to do with Torah? The answer is 611, Torah, Tzivah, and Moshe, plus 2, and the final tally is 613. I think that's an easy answer to explain the primacy, the importance of this verse. But I want to go a little bit deeper. I think this verse really highlights what our nation represents, what role we have to play in this world, and what is the connection that we have with Torah. The Talmud tells us, that if there is someone who refrains from teaching Torah, they're able to teach Torah, and they withhold from doing that. They have a student, and they refrain, withhold from teaching that student Torah. 
says the Talmud, this is from the book of Sanhedrin, page 91b, Ti'ilu gozlo minachlas avosav. It's as if he stole that person's inheritance. And it quotes our verse, Torah tzivalonu Moshe, Torah was commanded to us by Moshe, Morashat hilas Yaakov, it is the heritage, the inheritance of the congregation of Jacob. This Torah is our birthright. It's our heritage. And if I withhold someone's inheritance from them, well then, it's almost as if I stole their inheritance. Torah is not a corpus of law. It's not an arbitrary system of how to live, a code that really works. It's the divine blueprint for perfecting ourselves, for achieving the world's purpose. It is the roadmap to fulfilling our national mission. And it is the heritage of every Jew. And therefore, it's our mandate to disseminate Torah to all Jews. And if we don't, it's like we're stealing their inheritance. Elsewhere, the Talmud adds another wrinkle. It adds another point. The Talmud's talking about why the Torah is ours. It's the property of the Jewish people and it's not the property of the Gentiles. The Talmud tells us that there are two reasons why Gentiles ought not to study Torah outside of the seven Noahide mitzvos. Both of those reasons stem from this verse. Torah Tzivalanu Moshe, Torah was planted by Moshe. It is our heritage. It is our inheritance and no one else's. Alternatively, says the Talmud, the word Morasha, which we translate as heritage, can also be read as Meurasa, meaning betrothed. It is our betrothed. The Torah, the relationship that we have with the Torah, it's not like uh, a discipline, a domain of study, a field of scholarship. It's like a relationship between husband and wife, between lovers. We have an intimate relationship with Torah akin to that of husband and wife. It's ours. And if a Gentile would infringe upon it, according to this opinion of the Talmud, that would be like adultery. They're taking our betrothed unlawfully. And elsewhere, the Talmud clarifies this idea. In Jewish law, there is betrothal, erusin, and then there is the consummation of marriage, what's called nisuin. Betrothal, it's almost like an engagement. It's an agreement to eventually consummate this union. The Talmud tells us that for someone who is an ignoramus, they don't study Torah, their relationship that they have with Torah is that of a betrothed couple. They're betrothed to be married, but they haven't gotten married. And as we know, if you're betrothed, if you're engaged, your fiancés to get married, that is a setup, so to speak, for consummation of the union. And that is someone who's an ignoramus. 
They're Jewish. They have a relationship or potential for a relationship with Torah, but they're betrothed. They're not fully wedded. They haven't finalized, concretized this union. But on the other hand, if you have a Torah scholar, someone who engages in Torah, they don't subsist with having a theoretical potential relationship with Torah. They've actualized it. They have activated, consummated, completed this union. And that again is based upon our verse. The Torah is like a mi'urasa. It's like a woman that we betrothed and now we have the option to complete that. This is a very, I think, interesting and provocative insight. The relationship we have with Torah is like a spousal relationship. And by the way, this motif is found elsewhere in Jewish literature. What does this mean? This means that this is not something that we're supposed to just study. We're supposed to integrate with it. We're supposed to become one with Torah, just like a husband and wife become one. You have a child, for example. A child is kind of like half the mom, half the dad. Or a third the mom, a third the dad, and a third the investment of God. There is a unity, a fusion of the two spouses. Similarly, we're not supposed to study Torah and have it remain this idea that we connect to, hey, we go to shul and let's put on the special garbs and say, okay, let's study some Torah and then we go back and we're on our own. When you're married to something, when you're united with something, when you have become one with something, it accompanies you wherever you go. It becomes part of your identity. Adam and Eve, the first spouse that we have, of course, we'll go back to that next week. Adam was alone. He was despondent and forlorn. And the Torah tells us, it's not good for man to be alone. Let me make him, says God, a helper alongside him. That is the description of spouses in the Torah. It's not good for someone to be alone. Let me give him a wife and that will help him. And together they could achieve their potential. The Torah is like our spouse. It's supposed to be there to help us, to perfect us, to refine us, to purify us, and to bring us to the place that we hope and we aspire to go to and to become. It is the Almighty's gift to us where he wants us to have us actualize our potential. And that is done via us integrating ourselves with Torah. But of course, this demands work. The Torah we get, and it's an inheritance. We get it for free. A Jew is born into this fraternity, into this union, and he is already betrothed to Torah. But what's the nature of that relationship? It starts off, and we're only betrothed. To consummate this union, to complete it, 
we have to put in the effort, we have to study it, we have to invest in it, we have to adopt it, we have to adhere to it, we have to absorb it, we have to become one with it. So on one hand, this verse is telling us of the great potential and the great connection that we have with Torah and how it could transform us. And that, of course, demands a lot of work from us. This, of course, is our life's passion, our national pastime. But I also think it provides comfort to us. We have a relationship with Torah. At a minimum, Torah is betrothed to us. It's part of our inheritance. And no one and nothing could take that away. It's ours even if we neglect it. It's ours even if we have grown distant from it. The Midrash tells us, Torah is our eternal inheritance. And it gives an analogy. There was a prince who was taken captive, who was kidnapped as a young child. No matter what happens to that prince, that prince knows that they're a prince. They could be in the most squalid conditions. They could be distant from their homeland, distant from the palace, distant from the monarchy. But they know that they're heading back. They know that they descend from royalty. They know that they have a very bright future, potentially, provided they're able to get back home. We're princes. And we have a connection to Torah that is hardwired in, that there is nothing that could happen, nothing could be done to us to remove this connection that we have with Torah. It's our heritage. It's our inheritance. And you know what? We were kidnapped and we were taken captive and we're very far away from where we need to be. Doesn't matter. We're still princes and princesses and we get back. It may be difficult. It will be difficult. But we have all that power and latent potential bursting within us, ready to come forth. And the commentaries add another point. It's not just that Torah is our betrothed and we have a connection to it in general. There is a portion in Torah that is assigned to each soul of the Jewish nation. At Sinai, 600,000 souls, each one of them had their own experience, and there's a portion of Torah that's associated with each individual. And this is a theme that we've spoken about over the past year on the Parsha podcast, the idea that every individual has their own unique relationship with Torah. But again, that is only at the level of betrothal. We only have that in theory 
until we actualize that potential. What makes our nation special? Here we find out. We have the Torah. Torah Tziva Lanu Moshe. Torah was commanded to us by Moshe, to us and to no one else. Yes, the Almighty offered it to them, but they demurred. We have it. It's our heritage. We inherited it for free from our ancestors. But it is only our betrothed. To fully maximize the power of Torah, to have it help us, fix us, improve us, we need to engage with it. And we know we are never too far away from it. No matter how distant we are, it's our heritage, and no one can take that away. And even though we know we have it in in the bank, so to speak, we must not rest on our laurels. We have to study it. We have to connect to our own portion in Torah. And by doing that, we're consummating our relationship with Torah and we're unlocking its power to help us refine ourselves and become the person that the Almighty wants us to become. And we also must do whatever we can to teach and to spread Torah to our brethren. It's their heritage. They may be distant, but it's theirs. And it cannot, and that cannot be lost. And we could surmise that there's no coincidence that we read this verse on Simchas Torah. On the day that we celebrate Torah, on the day that we have the joy of Torah, we're celebrating the greatest gift ever given to humanity, the Almighty's Torah. When we describe the Torah as our betrothed, the Midrash adds another point to this. Who is the father-in-law, so to speak, of our spouse, the Torah, our betrothed, and hopefully the thing that we consummate our union with? That, of course, is God. The Almighty takes his Torah akin to his daughter, so to speak, and gives it to us. She's ours if we want her. She's our betrothed, and it's up to us to complete that union. I think now it makes an abundance of sense as to why this verse is the one we have to teach our children. This verse is feelingly an encapsulation of all of Torah. A small child needs to know what is it all about. You're small and you don't really know what's going on. You're just learning how to speak. And right away you're told you have something within you that is a very big, something huge. You have a built-in relationship with Torah and there's nothing that anyone could do to make you lose that. And no matter how distant you may be, you still have it. It's within you. It's your inheritance. It's your heritage. It's your betrothed. And it is your life's mission to actualize that union. And my hope is that in the wonderful tradition of the Parsha podcast, we have absorbed some of the lessons of the Torah. We have absorbed the weekly lessons of the Parsha. And we've connected to it. And we've actualized a little bit of our own relationship that we have with Torah. Following the schedule of the weekly Parsha. And my hope is, and my blessing to all of us is, that in the year upcoming, We deepen our connection with Torah. 
we deepen our connection with the, so to speak, Almighty's daughter, and we become better people, more refined people, and the more perfect people along the way. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your incredible support of the Parsha Podcast on the fourth year, and best of luck to all on year five of the Parsha Podcast. I'm looking forward to it. I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate your support. It's great to have the best audience in the entire podcast universe. My email address is rabbiwobajima.com. I look forward to hearing your comments, your questions, and your feedback.